Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Felix Rodriguez of BackOffice.co coming to us from beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida. How's your day going, Felix? It's going great. Thank you for having me on the show, Nathan. Yeah, excited to have you guys. So let's just jump to it. What do you guys do? What's Back Office? So Back Office helps small businesses automate their accounting and finance using a platform that makes it affordable and also very quick to get their numbers. Okay. And it's human driven or it's all, uh, you know, software or it's a combo? It's a combination. So it's hum- a human assisted AI platform. Okay. Mm-hmm. So give us an example of how it works. I'm a small business. Are you talking, you know, the laundromat and nail salon or more startups or, or what? Uh, the interesting thing about, we, about what we do is accounting is a universal problem. So the types of customers that we deal with today could be anywhere from a startup to a business that's doing several millions of dollars a year in revenue. So it really expands the whole gamut. Uh, what they all have in common is, is that they don't have an in-house accountant or bookkeeper that's actually taking care of the books. Got it. So they come on and what's the onboarding process look like? So after signing up with back office, uh, you would get access to our platform so that you're able to link your financial accounts, uh, bank accounts, credit cards, so that we can pull the data. Once we have the data, we're able to actually run it through our AI to see if we've seen uh, these types of expenses or transactions before. That really, uh, lim- uh, I'm gonna say, reduces the amount of human intervention and errors that are occurring during the actual categorization of the transactions. And just a normal accounting process is very tedious, uh, time consuming. Um, it sucks so much that not even accountants wanna do this type of work. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. But now do you have you have humans on on the back end also, you know, reviewing the books or you you said it's human assisted AI. So what are the humans doing? Yeah, so we have a team of dedicated accountants, uh, CPAs, bookkeepers that are actually assisting in the training of the AI. And uh, if it's items or transactions we've never seen before, they would actually get involved in processing those transactions. But the really cool thing about it is that once they get involved, and let's just say it's a laundromat, like you mentioned, and we've never worked with a laundromat before, uh, we're able to build a basis for the next laundromat we're able to see. Uh, and, and the neat thing about it is, is that the AI, uh, we're currently processing, I'm gonna say through our system, there's about $700 million in transactions that are going through our system. So these $700 million in transactions have been actually uh, classified and looked by looked at by a team of accountants and bookkeepers that actually do this on a daily basis. Okay. Interesting. Cool. And were you an accountant uh, or bookkeeper in previous life or how'd you come up with this idea? Uh, So I'm a power user of accounting, CFO, bookkeeping services. This is uh, about my 10th startup. Uh, We actually built and sold three of them, uh, all tech-based and grew teams from my living room to over 50, 75 employees in a really rapid amount of time. So this was a pain that I was experiencing myself. And when I was getting the feeling of starting something else again, I was telling my co-founder, I said, you know, 
the one thing that we've always dealt with that we always hated, um, that we were never really, uh, I'm going to say, uh, quick to do were the books. So I, I have a thesis. I'd like to, I'd like to know how many other small business owners feel the same way. Yeah, no, it's, I hate doing, I've got to do my monthly and quarterly accounting and I do most of it myself and I put it off and put it off and dread it and finally just spend the day doing it. Everyone hates it. So definite pain point. What, um, are you from uh, Palm Beach originally or where are you from? Uh, I'm actually from New York. I've been in Florida for about almost five years now. So we moved down after our, la our last startup in New York. Interesting. Okay, cool. Let's talk about raising money. So how much have you guys raised over how many rounds? So it's a little bit over 2 million right now at this point. Mm hmm. And that's all a seed round or what? So the first money in was my own money. And then after that, after I got some validation, a couple months later, I got some friends, family, uh, angels involved. And we raised about another 140, 140, 45. And uh, shortly after that, uh, I brought on my co-founder who I, I had successfully in a prior startup. He was our customer happiness officer. Uh, his name is Edwin, Edwin Mejia. And uh, I said to him, hey, you want to work together again? And uh, he was like, sure. He's like, what do I have to do? I said, well, you got to do some sales. And uh, he said, well, you know, I, uh, sales is okay. I don't love it, but together we've had success. And I said, no, I think you'll actually be great at this because um, the 50 or so customers that I've signed up, it was more of a consulting experience. I wasn't really selling them anything. And he said, interesting. I was more like, uh, it's kind of like at the crossroads of IT and accounting. So we find ourselves dealing more with technology and not just accounting. So it's making sense of all these uh, separate systems that go into accounting, whether it's a POS, uh, whether it's Chargeify, whether it's Stripe, an API, QuickBooks, Xero, uh, what's your tech stack? Getting that tech stack in order and then getting that, uh, all those technologies to spit out your numbers so that you can file your taxes, raise money, see how the business is doing, or you know, at the end of the day, the reasons you're doing it, maybe you want to get a loan, maybe you want to sell the business. You need a really good understanding of those numbers. So um, we consider ourselves more of a technology first firm. Accounting is really secondary to what we do. Yeah, that's interesting. This is a bit of a tangent, but like you've got all this data of interesting, interesting data flowing through your system of transactions and revenues for all these businesses. I mean, do you, can you monetize that or is it just a SaaS business? And I'm thinking like Stripe, interestingly enough, we use Stripe for our payments at Founder Suite and I'm starting to get little notifications pop up saying, you know, you can get a loan based on your transaction history, you can get a loan. So they're, they're not just a payment processor, they're also getting into lending. I guess, where do you see this going for you guys? Yeah, so uh, accounting bookkeeping is really the beachhead. The reason we picked the name back office is because it's really general. It's really at the core of what a business needs to do. But in the future, either through partnerships or through our own uh, internal uh, software, we will be able to offer loans, uh, credit cards, payroll processing, uh, invoicing, 
you know, just all these different pieces that make up those transactions. So our goal, our mission is to monetize all the transactions running through our system. Another total tangent, but what's the deal with Brex? They're like two years old and they're worth $2 billion. And this, if you're not familiar with Brex, uh, it's a credit card for startups. And I guess they also do expense tracking and things like that. Why is that thing so highly valued? Is it kind of in the same category? Uh, yeah, so I'm quite familiar with them. Um, it's an interesting uh, opportunity. Uh, I think that what we're seeing is they figured out a way to monetize the data that they have. And uh, uh, lending and credit cards for small businesses has been really challenging for banks to be able to make those quick decisions. So I think lending in general, when you look at Cabbage, um, you look at OnDeck, you look at Brex, uh, it's been a challenge. So I think the goal is to get data on SMBs and then to be able to predict which of these SMBs are the best credit worthy customers. Yeah, sure. It total makes sense. All right, let's go back to fundraising. So you, you raised 145K or so in friends and family. Um, and then, then what, what was after that? So during the summer of last year, we uh, started applying to uh, 500 startups and uh, late September, we, we got into the program. So we became, uh, you know, uh, part of uh, batch 24 and uh, we actually moved out my, you know, me and my two co-founders, uh, Glennis and Edwin moved down to uh, SF. So we lived there for about six months while we went through the program. And uh, just a great experience overall. I mean, I, I highly recommend it. If you're lucky enough to get in, I mean, we were one, we were one of 20 out of about approximately 2,000 startups from around the world that apply. Really? They're, they're getting 2,000 applications for 20 acceptances. That's surprisingly high or low acceptance rate. Um, that's amazing. Congrats to you. So what were your... What were your impressions of being in, in San Francisco for six months? What did you, what did you gain from that? Um, the energy and being around uh, other startup founders uh, is an experience. Uh, it's, it's, ultra, it's an ultra unique experience. I think if you're into startups and you like startups and building companies, it's hard to skip that step uh, because you're, you're like almost learning to live again, learning to be born again. You're, you're being born for the first time. Hmm, but why didn't why did you not stay here afterwards? Because a lot of startups do, right? Like it's kind of a a feeder. You know, these accelerators are are the gateway to get into San Francisco's Silicon Valley, and a lot of them stay and try and scale here. Why'd you go back to Florida? So we still maintain a small presence in SF, uh, but most of the team that we're building out is in in West Palm. We've actually noticed that people uh, people want to live here. Um, this is a state that's gaining more people every day. And uh, from a quality of life perspective, it's really interesting. Uh, for us, SF is very strategic. And uh, we may be running uh, special aspects of our operations down there. But for the, uh, I'm going to say, the more people-intensive type of things we need to do, we'll run them out of uh, West Palm. What do you keep in SF then? Like a sales team or, or a fundraising team or what? Uh, BizDev, um, I'm going to say also uh, head of growth, 
uh, any uh, really, uh, I'm going to say what's hard to replicate from SF is finding talent of people that have scaled any business. So folks who are experts at scaling. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Let's get, keep back, keep focused on fundraising a bit. So you're getting to 500 startups and then, you know, talk about raising the rest of the, the money. Uh, did you start from day one? Were you networking on the streets here in San Francisco? How'd you raise the 2 million total? So as part of uh, batch 24, we, we received uh, an investment of a uh, hundred and fifty K from 500 startups. Uh, believe it or not, we, uh, didn't really deploy much of that capital. We had about maybe three or four months to deploy it. And most of the expenses that we incurred were actually living in SF. Mm -hmm. So we really figured out organic w ways of growing. We were, uh, you know, we were, we figured out how to get customers to come to us uh, through partnerships and channels. And um, we did a little outbound. Uh, and what we realized was that this was a bigger problem than we, we really thought it would be. Right. So, for us, the story came together with a rapid growth. Uh, when we got into 500 startups, we had about 50 customers. Uh, by the time the program was over, uh, three and a half, four months later, we had well over 200 customers. Mm -hmm. And we had you know, just amazing growth, and the growth really helped uh, paint the story. So fundraising, for us, I would have to say, was uh, very untraditional. And I don't want to use the word easy because I think we did things that uh, when you have experience doing startups, you do those things, right? You become good at those things. So one of the things that we knew that we needed from the start was a process. How do we run a process? What are the tools that enable you to run a process, right? Because what our mentors at 500 did and what the program provided was an, an amazing network. Instead of going out and like randomly meeting VCs, we had VCs coming into the office to meet, meet, to meet us, right? And that's a strategic advantage, right? Instead of cold calling, we were getting introduced. And that's really helpful. And the program was centered around what is the one metric that mattered? And for us, that was month over month growth. Growing our MRR. So we really listened to our mentors and they said, hey, forget about fundraising. You'll do that the last month, the last month of the program before demo day. For now, we really got to figure out what your target customer is. How do you get that customer? And how do you get lots of customers to pay you in an exchange of what you provide, the value that you provide to the point where they're willing to part with their hard-earned money? Yeah, makes sense. Is that how the program is kind of set up? Like the first three or four months are just focused on growth. Last month is focused on fundraising, which would make sense. Is that kind of the structure? Yeah, so it, it all starts with this thing called Marketing Hell Week, where, believe it or not, we were sitting down for 70, 80 hours. Like at the end of the day, my butt was really hurting for sitting down and listening to all these different mentors and experts and growth hacking, um, whether it's Facebook marketing, whether it's sending out uh, cold emails, whatever the deployment channel is, they had an expert that had been able to do that at scale. Yep. And I think that's an invaluable resource 
uh, for a startup. We certainly couldn't get these people on our payroll. Uh, and unless you have a very current network, it's very hard to get uh, folks that are experts doing this to, you know, come and listen to you about your startup and help you build it. What did you find, taking another tangent from fundraising, what did you find was really effective in marketing and selling to SMBs? I mean, we're at Founder Street, we're selling to startups and we've tried a bunch of things, many of them unsuccessfully. What was sort of, did you find anything that was really your, uh, your secret weapon there? Uh, I believe founders have superpowers. So in my company, I was the first sales rep. I signed the first 50 accounts. And then I got my co-founder uh, who was also able to use that founder superpower to sign on the next 150 customers at a much more rapid rate than I was able to do in the first six months of inception. So in the first six months of inception, I probably signed on 50 customers. By the time we were finishing the program, my co-founder was doing that in maybe three weeks. Every three weeks, he was signing on more customers. That's the end result, but what was the input that led to that result? What, would, what did you find that was actually working to get that superpower? So anytime you could get in front of an SMB, whether it's through a cold email or an introduction, uh, you have to connect with them on the business problem and also let them know that, hey, look, I'm a founder just like you. I've experienced this problem. Here's the way we've tackled it. As it relates to accounting and bookkeeping, we are going through a process right now where it's very grueling. We're competing for uh, a limited amount of time that investors have. So our numbers have to be on point. When we communi communicate with investors, we have to know our numbers. We have to know our CAC. We have to know how long it takes to get a customer to, to close. Um, so being very metric driven, yeah. And being able to talk about those metrics, whether it's a loan, filing your taxes, or getting an investment, uh, the books are really essential to doing that. Uh, so, yeah, just captivating on those conversations that you get, those opportunities that you, that you get to make a connection. Did you find any particular key. channel worked best, whether it was cold email or Google Ads or something else to make that initial introduction or connection? To, to your customers? So part of the program at uh, 500, when we first started, uh, no kidding, we got a list of 100 channels. We couldn't try all 100 channels. We didn't have time. But what we did find that the first three channels that we tried all worked. And then we were inundated with the amount of requests from customers. What were those first so three channels? To, so uh, direct partnerships, like talking to other accounting firms, um, uh, uh, I'm going to say uh, LinkedIn worked really well. Um, mm. Introductions from other founders worked really well. Yeah, interesting. Okay, cool. Back to fundraising, jumping around here. Um, so talk about raising the actual money. Who was the lead investor on the round and how did you get connected with them? How many investors did you talk to? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? Big question. Yeah, no, absolutely. So our lead investor is uh, Active Capital and is led by Pat Matthews out of San Antonio. And uh, the interesting thing about Pat is that he is a founder just like us. He was a founder of a successful company called Webmail that he sold to Rackspace. 
which is a multi-billion dollar hosting hosting conglomerate out of uh, San Antonio. Yeah. So not only did he build his company, but he sold it into a large enterprise and became part of that fabric, helped him grow that. And then after that, his career, he was able to get his, uh, you know, I'm going to say the owners of Rackspace, the founders, to back him on his next venture, which is now Active Capital. So we have a pretty strong team behind us, very experienced team, uh, not just financial engineers, right? Because I think financial engineers may be really good at uh, getting you to, uh, you know, maybe to grow or to, you know, show some early signs of uh, traction. But I think long term, when you want to build a business, there's a lot of things that you have to think about. Okay. So how did you talk more about fundraising? How did you build, how did you get in touch with active capital? Did you build a list? How many investors give us the nitty gritty go? Yeah. So, so going back to the tools, we, we started off with a CRM uh, called founder suite. It was imperative that we were using that right to uh, put together this list and to manage it. Um, I started off with a list of about maybe 300 investors mm. and, uh, the focus was on finding investors that invested during, I'm going to say, the time that we were looking for capital, right? That they had done some deals, that they were active making deals, uh, meaning that they had dry powder, money mm -hmm. to deploy, Yep. right? Um, also, that they invested in our sector, right? That's really important. SaaS, FinTech, B2B, really important. Um, after that, it was do they invest in our stage, right? Do they write checks in our stage and what amount of traction do they need to see uh, to make an investment? So what we did was we put together a list. We divvied it up between New York, which is where I'm from, uh, California, which is where we were at for the last six months, and then all over the world, rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So Pat actually came from the, the rest of the world bucket. And what we, uh, what we simply did was we, uh, we figured out connection points to the firms that we wanted to talk to, the ones that were the, the ones doing deals and had capital, and either through uh, introductions or simply sending them something as simple. This was the key for us, sending them something as simple as an invitation to our demo day for 500. Mm -hmm. So... We weren't uh, per se soliciting money. We never asked for money. We just basically put together a really well-crafted email that stated, hey, so we're startup founders, built and sold three companies. Uh, we're now working on back office, automating accounting and finance for SMBs. And here are the highlights. We're growing 40% uh, month over month. Uh, we're on track to do, you know, Five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars in revenue this year, and I think most importantly, we are a brand new startup. We just launched this in January of 2018, so I think those things really help paint a solid picture of where we were at, and the fact that we were inviting them to this demo date, which was only going to be 20 companies that were going to be presenting. So that demo day had about. I don't know, 600, 700 investors from all over. Uh, so just being part of that was really, really huge. For us, 
I have to tell you that before demo day, we pretty much had our round closed. So it was just like going to demo day, doing the demo day, and uh, being a part of that experience, which is not easy. I got to tell you, that was one of the shocking things about this. What was the hard part? Go into more detail on that. Uh, getting on stage with so many people. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, we, we practiced a lot. Uh-huh. We worked on it a lot. But it's not just practicing, right? You're going up there in two minutes giving them the story of you and your company and why they should really consider it. And when you think about it in the context of two minutes, it puts a <laughs> tremendous amount of stress on you. Yeah, that's a lot, it's a lot to get into two minutes, but that's part of the fun part of it too, right? Or at least in my opinion. Um, yeah. yeah. Good, good, good. I like this kind of hack. This is a, something I've never heard before on this, using the invitation to demo day as a, almost a informal pitch. Do you think that email could have worked if you didn't have a demo day to invite them to? I mean, it sounds like it was a little bit of a teaser pitch email to begin with, right? Um, or, or do you think you need the attachment of the demo day invite to that? Well, we had several strategies. So one of my mentors at 500, he was, uh, he was like the lead mentor. Uh, he actually uh, suggested that invitation. He's like, let's invite him to demo day. Um, and he said, the second one is going to be a warm intro from me. How, it, how my experience was working with you the last four months. Talk about you and the team um, from a personal standpoint, how committed you were, how I saw, how I saw you uh, grow the company, how I saw the fact that you took advice well. Um, those things are really important because as an investor, uh, I think entrepreneurs, you know, we should be faulted at this, you know, maybe a little more. When you take someone's money, you're taking them on as a partner and you have to be considerate and understand that they want to be involved. Even if it's not as involved as you are on a day-to-day, -day, but they want to give your input. They want to give their input. So you have to be open about taking that input and figuring out how you can apply that to what you're doing, even if it doesn't work in the end. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So you would send this invitation to Demo Day, then you'd have one of your mentors circle back and do the intro or kind of the supporting email. Um, did you do this to all 300 people on that target list or is this more of a select group that you use this approach? Um, here's what was not so good about the process, right? I didn't do all 300. I maybe got to 90. Um, most of the responses that I got were very positive. When we got a lead investor, and also other investors in SF that got a chance, you know, that had a chance to get to know us in six months were becoming part of the round. There wasn't much room left. So I found myself having tons of conversations with VCs, even though I had no room. So I know that until you close and the, the, the money's not in the bank, you haven't closed anything. But that's what I found frustrating about the process, that I still had to maintain 50 or 60 conversations with various people at different firms. And I really wasn't going to be able to take them on. And you didn't want to 
expand the round, do a larger round if you had that much interest? You know, there's always the argument that if people are offering you money, you should take it. We thought about that, but we really looked at it from a standpoint of how much cash do we need to get to the next milestone um, and, and prove, you know, that what we have scales, it's needed in the market. And I also think it's also the quality of the partners that, that you want to partner up with. Um, the interesting thing is, is that in my pipeline, I still have enough people to do an A and probably do a B. So I didn't really lose anything. I actually gained, I feel. But going through the process was stressful because I really didn't know who I was closing a deal with. Sure, sure, sure. Just on a total uh, feature plug, we're just about to release a feature in Founder Suite where you can batch move a set of investors from one round to another. So you could take, you could carve up that 300 names and you could take, you know, 50 of them and put them in a, an A round, 50 into a B round just to kind of better organize your uh, future rounds. So FYI, check it out in a couple of days. Um, very good. All right. Well, what else? Is there anything else we haven't covered? Any other tips or tactics that worked well for you guys or things you would do differently uh, next time you guys go raise money? Um, I think the metrics are always really important. So you really want to focus on those metrics and you want to remove emotion from it. You have to make it like smartphone ready. If it's not smartphone ready, people aren't going to respond to you. Hmm. So, what do you, you what know, do you mean by write. that? What do you mean define that? So it's a small screen and you're going to be scrolling through maybe five lines of text. Mhm. Mm don't uh don't don't put paragraphs together. Sure. You're talking about your kind of like pitch email or what? Yeah, like just in general the way you approach it. You got to you got to tell a story, you got to make it interesting, you got to hook people. And every time you say something, it should be um, leading and hooking into something else, right? So the fact that we started several startups and sold three of them, that's really big. You know, the fact that we're at a 600K run rate, right? That was big. The fact that we were growing 40% month over month, that's big. And then ultimately, the fact that we're only eight months old, that is huge. Sure. Right? Yeah. So think about that in that kind of chronological order. And then I think that'll help open the door to be able to tell your story in a more paced manner. Yeah. No, that's good. I think that's good. I, I strongly agree with you or believe that, you know, investors are just inundated with emails and pitches coming at them. So you do, I like that smartphone ready, almost that super concise, super tight hook in just a few lines, the minimum, minimum number of lines as possible, I think is really critical to really stand out. Um, okay, very good. Well, anything else we haven't covered or uh, any special thing you want to promote at backoffice.co? Well, we're really focused on making finances and accounting easy for small businesses, startups, uh, literally any business that can use uh, an accountant bookkeeper that isn't in a position to have that in-house. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a money thing. 
It's also a contingency thing because once you have one accountant and if they go away on vacation or get sick, guess what? You have no fault tolerance. So we give businesses that fault tolerance and that peace of mind that their numbers are always going to be on time. So, yeah. I mean, that's our mission is, is literally making that simple for SMBs. Cool. All right. Well, Felix, this is good. Appreciate it. Very exciting. And, uh, Good luck, and we'll catch you after your next round. Great. Thanks a lot, Nathan. I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Bye.